This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're continuing today with Perkei Avot, and we're discussing the sayings of Hillel. The great Hillel, who's called Hillel Hazaken, the older Hillel. The older Hillel, as opposed to the younger Hillel. So he had a, he had a descendant called Hillel as well. Uh, so there's Hillel the first and Hillel the second. Hillel the first was what we're talking about. Hillel the first was the ancestor of a tremendous line of great rabbis and princes. They were the princes of Israel. Because he was from the line of King David. So the line of King David comes through Hillel and into the princes of Israel, who were also the chief rabbis. And he was one of the chief rabbis. He made Aliyah to Israel from Iraq, from Babylon. And eventually he becomes known as the greatest sage. And they appoint him the chief rabbi. So Hillel used to say, these are some of his favorite sayings. Number one, En bur It's very, very important. What's critical in Judaism is knowledge. Because a person who doesn't know what to do thinks he's doing the right thing, but really he's doing the wrong thing. So it's very important to know, very, very important to learn, because the laws of Judaism are very, very intricate. It's one of the most intricate religions. There's a law about everything. A person wakes up in the morning. How do you wake up in the morning? What do you do? And the answer is you've got to wash your hands. So you've got to do nitzilat yidam. How do you do washing hands? You've got to put right, left, right, left, right, left. It's, these are not, uh, these are intricate laws. How do you wear your shoes? You put your right shoe first and then left shoe. Then you tie your left shoe. Then you put your, tie your right shoe. Everything is laws. You shouldn't put two clothes on at the same time. You should always put one on and then the next one on. It's got to be done in order. How do you take a shower? So the Rambam says first you start, you start with your head. Because the head should not be cold. His head should be started hot first. And, and, uh, and then he says to gradually lessen the heat of the water. You don't catch a cold. So all these things, there's Jewish laws that cover everything. And we have Jewish laws that cover burial, for example. Burial, Jewish laws. You've got to bury as soon as possible. You shouldn't leave the body lying around. We're not allowed to cremate. People don't know that. People are Jews are not allowed to cremate. Because the body has sanctity. It's an interesting concept, the concept of sanctity of the human body. Even though it sins a lot? It doesn't matter. The body, the body itself has sanctity. Why? Because it, at one time it had a soul. Everyone has a soul. So therefore, the body has sanctity. And the Torah talks about a criminal. And it says the criminal has to be buried the same day. The criminal, who's a murderer. And you have to bury him the same day. If a criminal has to be buried the same day, how much more so a regular person has to be buried the same day? Today in America, we're very lax. It's one of the laxities in America. We'll wait for the relative to come. We'll wait for this relative to come, this relative to come. What about the poor guy suffering? The guy's not buried. It's a disgrace. So it depends. If the person would have liked his relative to be there, we wait. Who knows if the person would have liked the relative to be there or not? We don't know. We, uh, so, but it's important to know that it's ideally to get burial done as soon as possible. So these laws, people don't know the laws. A lot of people today are cremating their, their, their relatives. Why? Because it's cheaper. It's way cheaper. Instead of, instead of uh, $8,000, it's, uh, it's $500. Big difference in price. So people say, why should I bury, uh, it costs so much money. And I spoke to the undertaker, he says, especially the Rutgers professors, they love to cremate. They don't believe in the soul. They don't believe in the afterlife. They cremate. Who? Rutgers. Professors. The professors. Why? Because they're... Because of the professors... The professors at Rutgers. The Russians? Rutgers. Rutgers University professors. Oh, yeah? They don't believe in uh, another life? Another I'm just saying, they're mostly the intellectuals. The intellectuals don't believe in... But we, Jews, and a lot, hopefully a lot of Jews, they should know these laws. 
No cremation. Number two, no, they burial above ground. What is this burial above ground? That's not burial. That's not burial. not burial. It's not burial. They have these monuments in the Jewish cemeteries now. It's disgusting. They, you put the bodies in shelves above ground. It's crazy. That's not burial. You see all the flyers, no. the flies flying around. It's, it's not disgusting. Burial. It's not burial. So not, not enough Jews know these laws. They think, you know what? For example, let me give you a little example. I want to buy the nicest coffin for my, my, uh, my father deserves the best. We don't realize Jews don't spend money on coffins. They want the simplest coffin. Not the most expensive coffin. Having an expensive coffin defeats the whole purpose because the coffin, the whole idea of the coffin is it should melt as soon as possible. It should be cheap. Don't waste your money on coffins. No. Best money is spent on Torah. You want, to, you want to elevate the soul of the deceased? You spend money on supporting religious institutions, Jewish institutions, supporting the poor. Similarly, the, the, uh, the gravestone should not be expensive marble. You know the joke? The joke is the guy goes to the cemetery. And he's wandering around, he sees, wow, he sees this massive mausoleum, green granite marble. He said, boy, he says, boy, he says, that's living. He imagine, he's in the cemetery, and that's living. It's not living. So these are laws that people don't know, how to treat the dead. People don't even know. Them. So we're lucky because in this town we have a Hebra Kaddisha. It's very important to know. That the certain rights, Jewish rights, the passage of rights that have to be carried out before you bury someone, how you bury someone, all these are laws. So Hillel is telling us that a person who doesn't know the laws cannot be a person who fears God because he doesn't know how to fear God. Doesn't know how to fear God. So a person who do the wrong thing. For example, so here's a classic example of Rabbi Kiva. That's why I brought this case of burial. So we know in Jewish law, there's a thing called a met mitzvah. What is a met mitzvah? A met mitzvah is someone who there's no one to bury. If there's no one to bury this person, it's a tremendous mitzvah for any Jew to get involved and bury them. <laughs> and there's, an, uh, there's, a, there's a Jewish organization in, in Queens, Free Burial Society. It's called the Jewish Free Burial Society. People cannot afford to be buried. Imagine, they die with no money. They die with nothing. So they can get a grant from the Free Burial Society to bury them. It's a big mitzvah, a tremendous mitzvah. <laughs> See, a rabbi keeps walking down the street. In those days, there was no organization He's walking down the street and he sees a dead body, a Jewish body, over there lying over there, dead. So what does he do? He puts him on his back. He carries him to the nearest city, to the Jewish cemetery, and buries him over there. He goes back to his rabbi. He says, Rabbi, he says, I did a tremendous mitzvah today. He says, what do you do? He says, I took the person, I carried him two miles on my back. Imagine carrying a dead person two miles on my back to the nearest cemetery. The rabbi says, you're a fool. He didn't do the right thing. What do you mean I didn't do the right thing? In Jewish law, this, the person acquires his grave wherever he falls. You bury him wherever he falls. That was in those days. Obviously today, you call the closest Hebrew uh, Kaddish and say, come pick him up. But in those days, there was no Hebrew Kaddish, there was no organization. Where do you bury him? Who's going to pay? And the answer is, wherever he falls, that's where you bury him. You bury him the closest place to where he fell. You don't carry him. We don't even want to wait that time to carry. That's why there were graves all over. That's the reason for the gravestone. Why a gravestone? Because then people know over here there's a grave. They bury people all over the place, wherever they fell, unless a person has a family plot somewhere. So anyway, so it's interesting because Jewish law is complex. A person cannot be a true uh, God-fearing person without knowing all the laws. How do I do this? What's the first thing you teach a child? Who knows? What's the first thing you teach a child? 
Abba Ima? No, you teach him Shema Yisrael. What's the last words on a Jew's lips when they die? Shema Yisrael. That's going to know. These are basics. These are basics. ABCs of Judaism. ABCs. So, uh, people don't realize that this, it's, it's complex. Jewish law is complex. You know, it's interesting. Today I'm going to give a class about shockling. You know, see people shake. The shakers. We're the, we're the original Quakers. Jews like to shake. Uh, I have my own theory that it's based on Lech Lecha. You know, Abraham Avinu gets the first mitzvah is walk. Go, go. So he's always going. We're on the go. Jews are always on the go. You see, Jews can't stop. They're always on the go. They were doing something. But I'm going to talk about it. It's such a small little detail, that, but there's a lot to talk about. Every little detail of Jewish law becomes a book. Today they write books on every little detail. You want to buy an etrog. There's a book about how to choose an etrog. Every single Jewish law is complex. So Hillel says, an ignorant person cannot be God-fearing. Why? Because he doesn't know how. doesn't know how. Below Amar is Hasid, and, a, and an ignorant person cannot be pious. So now there's two different words used for ignor- ignoramus. One is a boor. A boor is like a pit. Like an empty pit. A boor. A boor, it's interesting because it's, you have the same word in English. It's one of the rare cases where the Hebrew and the English match. A boor in English is B-O-O-R. A boor. What is a boor? A boor is, he doesn't even have derech eretz. doesn't even have manners. Really low class, no manners at all. Doesn't even know manners. Doesn't know how to run his life. He has no idea at all. Completely ignorant. And then you have the next level up, which is Amharitz. There's a, there's a boor and there's Amharitz. So a boor doesn't even know how to run his life. Doesn't even say how please and thank you. That's a boor. A boor has no manners. And that's English as well. You look up English in the English directionary, boor, B-O-O-R, no manners. Totally ignorant of anything. Whereas Amharitz has manners. He just doesn't know Torah. He knows everything else. He knows how to survive in society. He knows how to go to work. He just doesn't know Torah. Because Amar. So now Amar says, you know what? I want to be pious. He wants to be pious. He doesn't know how to be pious. How are you going to be pious? So certain things you're, you're strict on. That's not piety. It depends what it is. It depends if it helps society or hinders society. It depends if it gets other people close to God or it gets people away from God. So a person's got to know how to be pious. What to do. I had a friend of mine who was a Baal Teshuvah. You know what he said? He said, Come to my garden, you'll find all my cutlery is buried over there. He says, why are your cutlery buried in the garden? He says, because whenever I made a trafe, I buried it. That's not Jewish law. You don't bury your cutlery. Anyone bury the cutlery? <laughs> like he, when he made his meaty spoon milky, he used to bury it. You don't bury it, kosher it. How do you kosher it? It's very simple, you kosher it. The same way it went in, that's the way it comes out. Sometimes you don't even hagala. Sephardim were very lenient. Sephardim were very lenient. There's no absorption in cold in Sephardim. Mm-hmm. Nothing absorbs when it's cold. Right. It's only when it's hot. How hot? It's got to be boiling hot. So it burns your hand. Say so you wash something in the, uh, under the tap and it's just lukewarm. And, and you're using soap. There's no issues of transfer. Anyway, that's not the class. But I'm just saying that there's uh, different laws. And there's intricate laws. Meat and milk and cooking and treif and nanko. Oh, so an Amaretz cannot be pious. He doesn't know how to do these things. <clears throat> you go to his house, he says, you know what, don't worry, I'm 100% kosher. How do you know? Because come and see, my, my yard is full of uh, sp- uh, cutlery. It's buried over there. <laughs> so what's he going to do with it? You don't, that means you don't know what you're doing. That's a sign you don't know what you're doing. It's not a sign of piety. It's a sign of ignorance. But I say, look, I'm so pious. Look, 
hundreds of dollars worth of cutlery in the, in the backyard. So you're ignoramus. That's not. Don't have to do that. There's no such thing as burying it to conquer it? There's a thing called digging, pushing into the ground ten times. But taking it out, you don't leave it over there. What's the idea? The idea is to scour it. And that's the case with knives. Knives, so the thing called absorption through cold pressure. If you're cutting something hard, for example, a meaty knife, and you're cutting hard, hard cheese, very hard cheese, and you're pushing the knife into the cheese, and you realize, hey, it's a meaty knife. That knife absorbed through cold pressure. How much does it absorb? A very, very thin layer that you can scour it out. So you don't have to dig it. In those days, they never had scouring pads. They used to dig it into the ground to scour it. That's the equivalent of scouring. But uh, today, you use a scouring pad seven, ten times, and that's it. It's over. It's clean. Really? Yeah. You don't have to put it in boiling water in a pot. Boiling water, boiling water only applies to things which absorb through heat. But how do we, we don't really know how it's absorbed. I would never know. Well, a cold knife. We're talking about a cold knife. Okay, anyway, let's, let's not go into that. Okay. It's the laws of kashrut. Oh, wow, right. <laughs> but if you want to use hot water, you can use hot water. It's even better. You want to do hagala on a cold knife, you can even better. But sometimes you don't even need to do anything. Anything. Did you help him cutlery? No, I didn't help him because it was, he was older than me, much older than me, and you couldn't argue with him. He thinks he's doing the right thing, and he's on the right road. Sometimes you don't do I was a little kid at that time. I mean, he told me, he told me his, his garden is full of cutlery. I said, that sounds strange to me. <laughs> and that's why it's important to learn. I'm supposed to go and ask the rabbi, what do I do with this knife? What do I do with this? In most cases, you, no problem. You can... Anyway. We are continuing uh, with Hillel. So Hillel number one says, a person who is a boor. What is a boor? A person totally ignorant, even of manners. He cannot be fearful of sin because he doesn't know how to treat people. How can he know how to treat God when he doesn't even know how to treat people? Law Amar, it's an ignorant person, doesn't know any Jewish law. How can he be pious? He doesn't even know the basics. And then he continues, Veloha Baishan Lamed, a person who is embarrassed, can't learn. Why? Because they're embarrassed to ask questions. And when they need clarification, they're not going to ask. And therefore, they'll do the wrong thing. Because they should have asked. And you know what? They're embarrassed to ask. Oh, it's such a small thing. I'm embarrassed to ask the rabbi and de- delay him and waste his time. You have to know there's no such thing as a small question. Every question is important. Every question should be asked. And sometimes you don't understand what the rabbi is saying. You have to ask again and say, is this what you really meant? Because sometimes you misunderstand, a person misunderstands. The rabbi is giving a class, and there's 50 people over there, and each one understands what the rabbi said in a different way. Oh, he said this. The other one says, no, he said this. And that's how all the debates in the Talmud come along. The rabbi, this one says, the rabbi said this. And I said, no, he, I was there. He said something else. So what they have to do is clarify from the rabbi. What did you say, rabbi? Tell us, explain. So that is what the next part of the Mishnah is. A, a person... We are on chapter 2, Mishnah 5. A person who is embarrassed will never learn. Why? He's never going to ask questions. He's embarrassed to ask questions, to clarify the issues. And then on the other side, he says, a, a rabbi who is a teacher or a teacher who has no patience shouldn't be teaching. A person who has no patience should not teach because they're going to get very upset very fast. Why are you asking me this question? I've told you 50 times what the answer is. Don't ask me these questions anymore. So a simple question. Go away. Don't leave me alone. That's not a good teacher. And it's very hard to teach in schools today. Boy, I tried it. Very, very hard. You need a lot, a lot of patience. And you need to keep on repeating yourself 50 times. 
because you have different <laughs> teachers and you have different uh, uh, someone you got to keep discipline that's the, probably the hardest part of education today is discipline there's no discipline at home forget about discipline in the, cl- in the class if, he, if the kid goes home and there's no discipline he comes to, he comes to school why, why should they be more disciplined in school than at home and if the, pe- if the teacher punishes the kid the parents come the next morning and they complain what do you do to my kid da, 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 da. well your kid wasn't behaving yesterday impossible my kid is an angel yeah. He's an angel. <laughs> well, we know there's different kinds of angels. There's uh, the angels of destruction as well. Maybe an angel. What kind of angel is he? So there's a there's a baishan, a, a person who is embarrassed will never learn. Why? I'm shy to ask questions. You find it's interesting. Jews love to ask questions. In fact, when you when you answer the question, they'll ask you another question, and when you answer that question, they'll give you another question. The question. And when you ask them, they don't answer you with an answer. They answer you with a question. <laughs> so it's uh, very hard to get an answer sometimes. But it's important not to be embarrassed to ask questions because then you're learning. And we said also a person has to have patience to teach. And then he tells us a very interesting thing. Let me see this. Not everyone who is involved in business becomes smart. What does that mean? person has to have time of the day to learn Torah. person is busy with their business and busy with their work and busy with this. They'll never have time to learn Torah. So not everyone who goes to work and has a full day schedule can learn Torah. So it's important to set times to all of us. Set times. You know, if I wasn't a rabbi, I probably wouldn't learn as much as I'm learning now because I'm learning to prepare my classes. Where does a person learn? If you have no obligations, you're not going to learn. Very simple. If no one's forcing you, no pressure. If a person has a fixed time to learn, they're not going to learn. Why? Because one day they'll say, I'll learn at 2 o'clock. One day I'll 5 o'clock. One day this, one day that. In the end, what happens is, I'll delay. I'll do it tomorrow. I won't do it today. So it's important to have fixed times to learn. And we know that one of the things, the first questions you're going to ask on the other side of the curtain is that you have fixed times to learn. It's very important to fix your times to learn. And this way, a person shows that learning is important in my life. Learning is important. It's a fundamental in my life. It's one of the anchors in my life. We all need anchors. So we all need anchors in our lives. A fixed time, a fixed schedule for learning is an anchor in our lives. So a person has to know we need a fixed time to learn. And you ladies have to make sure your husbands and kids are learning Torah. It's your job. It's your, you're, the, you're the backbone of the house. You have to make sure that your husband is learning a fixed schedule. You ask the husband, are you learning fixed times? <laughs> well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, at least five minutes a day. Ten minutes a day? How long is it? It doesn't have to be a long time. Start with five, ten minutes. So a guy comes to the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, he says, I only have five minutes to learn Torah. So we'll learn Musar. Musar means ethics, and you'll find more time. Because if you learn Musar, that will encourage you to learn more. So Musar is very important. So today it's very easy to learn Torah because you can learn Torah on the web. You can learn Torah, Torah anytime. We're taping this class. Anyone comes, uh, Torah anytime. You go on Torah anytime, you get a thousand rabbis over there. Pick whichever one you like. Gosh, it's such a hard choice. It's a hard choice today. Find someone you like. Find someone you can relate to and listen to them. And then he tells us a very important idea. In a place where no one is taking a leadership role, there's, things are falling apart. Sometimes you go to a place and it's falling apart. Yesterday we had a spill over here. And then Adina comes in and cleans the spill. No one just left it over there. They left it, left it. A big mess over here. There's a mess on the table. So... Uh, <laughs> clapping is like this. Clap anyway, so I'm just I'll give you an example that in a place you see a mess, 
No one's doing anything. Do it. You see a place which needs someone to volunteer to do something. Very so. Look at over. We have a, a talit. We have talits over there. The talitot. The men come and they throw it over there. It's going to look disgusting. Someone comes and folds it up and puts each one in the right place. So a person sees a mess. Be part of the solution. Be part of the solution. How many people come and say, you know, we, we need something in the shul. But, but why don't you do, get part of the solution? Be part of the solution. Why do you keep telling me? Tell him, do it yourself. Do something. So be part of the solution. That's what he's telling us. A place where there's no one doing something, you be, you be the one to do it. You be the one to go ahead. In fact, we talked about cornering the market, right? The person says, you know what? Which mitzvah is there today that I can do that no one's doing? So, for example, there was a, there was a guy who came from Europe. He found the mitzvah of shatnes. No one was doing the mitzvah of shatnes. There was no one doing the mitzvah of shatnes. Shatnes means you're not allowed to mix wool and linen together. Right. So a lot of people are buying clothes, wool and linen. Today it's not so frequent to find wool and linen together because it's very expensive. Linen is very expensive. We have all the uh, artificial kinds of uh, materials. But if you do buy a very expensive clothes from Italy especially, you may find shatnes in them. Where is the shatnes? Usually in the collars. Because they stiffen, they use linen to stiffen the material. So usually the shadows over here on the pads and the collars and behind the collar. So he developed the system to check for shatness. So listen, no one's key doing this mitzvah, so I'm going to develop it. And therefore today you have these people who test for shatness. They're all trained by this one man. One man came along, he started training people to check for shatness using microscopes. So what they do is they cut the material open, they take it out, they examine it, which the fibers, and they see what fibers they are. But can you imagine, he, he thought about which mitzvah is not being kept. I want to see which mitzvah people are not doing. We talked for the book, All for the Boss, right, of Yaakov Herman. What mitzvah are people not doing? Mitzvah hospitality. People don't have big houses. Their houses are full. They can't be hospitable. They can't keep uh, visitors. So he opened his house to have visitors. He's a wealthy man. So whatever you can do, in a situation, you see something missing. What does is, what is the shul... You know, a guy came to me, he says, what do your shul need? Do you need a Sefer Torah? What do you need? you need lights? What do you, what do you need? So, interesting. How do people think in that way? What does this institution need? What do the Jewish people need? What does Israel need? Buzz goes to Israel. What does Israel need? You see all the orphans over there. There's orphanages in Israel. They need. They need. There's a big need over there. Adopt an orphan. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's uh, organizations that save... Children from abortion, because the parents can't afford it. Imagine, they say for a thousand dollars you can save a child, not because of idealism, because the people they're having abortions because they can't afford to have a child. They can't afford to buy a crib. It's called Efrat, beautiful organization, it's all volunteers. So a person can think, what do we need? What does Israel need? What do I, what does the community need? What does Judaism need? What do we need? That's like Audrey and Spencer Rockland. How many kids did they? Yeah, you need foster homes, so I'll be a foster. So everyone's got to do it according to what they think they can do. It's not just, what do we need? Also, what can I do to fill in the need? And I, that it's suitable for me as well. So it's a very important mission, this idea of volunteerism. Don't ask what your country can do for you, but ask, what can I do for my country? Who is that? JFK, right? So that's, that's exactly what, what the Hillel is saying. He got it from here. Hillel says this. Hillel says, figure out what is needed and do it. You be the one to do it. Or be the one to organize to do it. You had a guy here came in, he says, Mullah Mahsurim, all your prayer books are all old. So he started collecting for new prayer books. All by himself. Fantastic. You have a guy downstairs who does our kiddushes every week. 
Rachel's husband. Why? Because he saw a need and he volunteered. And he's, he's invaluable. Invaluable. I'll tell you, he's invaluable. This man is gold. And so, okay. So now we come to a very strange Mishnah. A very, very strange Mishnah. It's a very hard to digest, this Mishnah. And we have to try and understand this Mishnah. There's a Mishnah which is sometimes the rabbi spoke in language which is very hard to understand. Like a parable. So what he's saying really, but I just want to, it's very hard. Let me just read the Mishnah to you and then we can discuss it. But it's very hard to understand this Mishnah. So Hillel sees a skull floating on the river. Now we have to understand, we're living in times, these are tough times for Jews. It's towards the end of the Second Temple period. We're talking about towards the end of the Second Temple period, which is, the uh, Temple was destroyed around 70 CE. 70 CE. Right? So you're talking about in the first century CE. Hillel lived in the first century CE. And Hillel sees, these are times where there are 24 different sects of Jews. Imagine, 24, today you may have Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, and Reconstruct, four. But there are 24 different sects of Jews. I can't imagine, 24 different sects. And they're, yeah, but they're all under one banner. Let's, let's call them all one banner. Okay, let's, let's be uh, generous and say one banner. They okay. themselves don't consider themselves. Now, uh, Rachel, let's say the one banner. Let's, 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 let's not talk about it. But there's 24 different sects of Jews, and each sect says, you're going to hell. If you don't believe what I believe, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Going to hell. Plus, there was a lot of brigands. Brigands means the society collapsed. Law and order collapsed. Second time of year, law and order was collapsing. The Romans were coming in, taking over Israel. Balagan. It was a balagan. Hillel walks around and he sees a skull floating on the water. So he says something very strange. Amala, he said to the skull, because you caused someone else to drown, you are drowned. And whoever drowned you will be drowned as well. What is he saying? It's very, it's very strange. I mean, I don't think he was talking to the skull in, in particular. He's more in general. He's talking about this idea that whatever goes around, comes around. That's what he's saying. Whatever goes around, comes around. If you are violent, you can expect violence done to you. If you are mean, you can expect meanness to be done to you. Whatever goes around, comes around. That's what he's saying over here. So it's very important to do the opposite. To break the spiral of violence. That's what it's called, the spiral of violence. It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. The spiral of violence just keeps on. You kill, the other guy says, oh, he killed me, I'll kill him. He killed him, I'll kill him, I'll kill him, I'll kill him. It's hard to break that spiral. That's what Hillel's saying. Hillel says there's a spiral over here. Someone killed you because you killed someone else, and this guy killed his, and whoever kills you will be killed. It's a terrible spiral of violence. How do you break that spiral of, of violence? And the answer is... You have to be generous somehow. You've got to break the spiral. You have to be what? A generous. You have to be generous. You have to forgive and forget. You have to just move on. Because otherwise the spiral of violence just continues over and over again. It's very hard to break that spiral. Or go to court. Find a mechanism to break the spiral. It's very, very hard to break the spiral. And then he continues. And this is a very morbid thought. Hillel gives a very morbid thought. This is good for Weight Watchers. Anyone goes to Weight Watchers? This is a very good line for Weight Watchers. Marbe basar marbe rima. The more fat you have, the more worms there will be after death. Oh, terrible thing to think. We, we forget. We forget that we're, you know, a person goes to, this, goes to a funeral. How many people think, hey, that could be me? No, we don't think. It's him. He passed away. Okay, that's it. We'll go home. We'll have a meal. 
That's what Jews do. We go home, we have a meal. <laughs> it's a mitzvah to eat straight after. Why? To affirm that we want to be alive. Life is number one key. But don't increase the, in, don't increase the intake till you have loads of fat. Why? Because loads of fat eventually will have more worms later on. Oh, yeah, yeah. What a, what a, what a thought. What a morbid thought. <laughs> but you know what? He's, he's reminding us that you can buy, 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 buy. What is it? Materialism. But you can't take it with you. You know what I've seen? I've seen what I really, really confounds me and really makes me depressed. It's when I see these very, very wealthy people getting older and older and older. And then they end up in the old age home and you're allowed only two suitcases <laughs> in your room. Because you have only one closet over there. You can imagine, this guy's a multi-millionaire. Multi-millionaire. He's living in a room with one bed. That's it. Where's, your, where's all your furniture? That's it. You get one room, you get one closet, you can't take it with you. So that's what he's telling us. Whatever you get in this world, you can't take it with you. I have a, had a guy here, he was a big tzaddik. He wasn't Jewish, but he was a tzaddik. His last name was Maimon. So I'm sure he was blood. He had Maimonides, uh, Maimon in his blood. So he, would, he, was very, he built, helped build this library. And it's all voluntary. Voluntary. He wasn't even Jewish, but he's voluntary. He says, Rabbi, he says, I'm not Jewish, but my grandson is Jewish. What? <laughs> yeah, my son married a Jewish girl. So he had his son, his grandson had a bar mitzvah. I'm going to my grandson's bar mitzvah. <laughs> so he had the right name, Maimonidi. Yeah, Maimon. So he was 75 years old. His wife passed away. He says, Rabbi, he says, I don't go to church anymore. He says, why? Because all the old ladies, they're running after me. <laughs> so one day he buys this red sports car. Mustang. He buys a red Mustang. 75 years old, buys a red Mustang. I said, what's going on with you? Why are you buying this car now? He says, there's no pockets in the shrouds. I can't take it with me. I'm going to enjoy it now. <laughs> but that's what Hillel is saying. Hillel is telling us, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Use it now. Do good with it now. People think I can save it. I'll save it. Well, listen, if you have good kids, it's going to go to a good cause, hopefully. hopefully. But if you don't have good kids, who's going to use all this? You know, look how much money was lost. Jewish money was lost in the world. Jews were thrown out. I was just reading yes last week about Yamakshimor Eichmann. Eichmann's first job was in Vienna. You know that? Because Amer- the uh, Yamakshimor and the Germans conquered Austria first. Austria. They go into Austria. Eichmann's in charge of getting rid of the Jews. Not violently. No. He sets up office in where Rothschilds. He takes over Rothschilds' beautiful mansion. Mansion becomes High Eichmann's headquarters. Every Jew has to go to Eichmann's headquarters. He makes them sign. All your property, sign over to the Reich. All your money, sign over to the Reich. All your land, sign over to the Reich. Exit visa here. Get out of the country. 10,000 Jews who got out of Vienna, they left all their money to the Reich. So, but we, we, we save and we save and we save and we save. How many Jews lost all their money, all their artwork to the Reich? All their money in Switzerland because they were killed. The Swiss got so that's what Hillel is telling us. My ben masar, my ben masar. I can't take it with you. Please help good causes. People have lots of money, and Jews especially. And we see how much money is wasted. Look at the Forbes 400, right? See all this Jewish money going to build art museums. What for? Annenberg. Who's this guy? Annenberg. He built this beautiful art museum. Why? I want a civilized man. That's not the way you civilize man. Germans loved art. The Nazis loved art. They stole art. You think it civilized them? 
Art does not civilize anyone. It's ethics and morality that civilize. It's learning Torah that civilizes. It's not art. So that's the trouble. They're all messed up in the head. These guys are wasting their money. Okay, we're going to spend it on a hospital. Beautiful. We have Robert Wood Johnson. One of our members is the head. He's the top guy of Warwick Wood. And they're honoring him next week. A big tzaddik. Doing a lot of work. That's, you got Robert Wood Johnson. They're helping the community. They're, they're healing the sick. That's a big mitzvah. But to spend your money on art, or spend your money on, I don't know what, giving to Harvard. Harvard has a massive fund already. They don't need money. Uh, all these big universities have massive funds. And uh, so all this money is wasted. What about all the yeshivot, all the, all the kids starving, all the people uh, who need help? All the... So these are things that we have to think about. And hopefully m- the message will filter into these. If you know anyone who has money, please tell them, no, don't waste it. Do good with it. Do as much good as you can. Don't waste it. So that's what Hillel is telling us. If you're not going to do it, it's going to be wasted on the worms. Don't waste it on the worms. How much money is hidden underground? We don't know. In those days, there were banks. You know what they did? They buried it. So how much money? Imagine the guy forgets his money in the bank. Underground. It's lost completely. No one knows where it is. So you have these guys who buy these machines that, that search for, what is it? Metals. What's it called? Metal detectors. Metal detectors. Thank you. Metal detectors. They buy this metal detector. They go around and they find things. <laughs> they find things at buried. The at the beach. Yeah, at the beach. Yeah. Like you see them all in the metal detectors. But there was a couple in, I can't remember where it was, some distant place, and they found gold in their property. They found. Mm-hmm. They found uh, buried treasure. They really literally found buried treasure. Okay, we are moving on to the next mission, Mission of Zion. We're in, actually, we're in Mishnah. Okay. This is a very famous Mishnah. The more property you have, the more worries you have. Oh. But mm-hmm. you know what? The more property I have, I'll be rich. The more property I have, I'll be well off. I'll, I won't have less worries. No, you have to worry about paying taxes on this house, on this house, painting this, maintaining this. Doing this and doing that. You have five cars. You've got to worry where you're going to put the cars. You've got insurance on the cars. You've got to repair this car. Who's going to drive this You know, one of the biggest things I have. Which car shall I drive today? Which watch shall I wear today? Which dress shall I wear today? Gosh. Thank God I'm not a woman. It takes 15 minutes, half an hour to decide which dress I will wear today. Gosh. Have you ever heard that? I've seen it. I forget about hearing it. And I gotta match my shoes and my dress. And I need another pair of shoes because this dress doesn't match the shoes. And this is Imelda Marcos. You heard of Imelda Marcos? How many shoes does she have? This <laughs> I go to Israel. In Israel, you know, yeah, small apartments. I put an iPod on the door and I see one room full of shoes. Are you selling shoes? No, these are my shoes. Well, it's a whole room for shoes. But they're all laid out because you need the... Uh, anyway. But it just shows that we're we blessed today. We are blessed. In America, we're blessed. We're blessed with materialism. But sometimes materialism can be a curse. Why? Increases the worries. Then the IRS come. Uh-oh, IRS. They're the biggest robbers. <laughs> so, materialism. So, a person thinks, yeah, materialism will solve all my worries. Materialism can help you, and materialism is a tool, but don't get lost into materialism. Mm-hmm. But things materialism solve all my problems. Look at it today. I was, I was just looking at the British news because I have some affiliation. And there's a famous soccer player who says, I was totally depressed for six months. I said, why? 
It's because I thought to myself, he is depressed. Why is he depressed? He didn't win a game, they lost a the game, he blamed himself, whatever it is. And then he says, but I have everything. Look at, look at this. I have everything. Why am I depressed? I have everything. And it made him more depressed. <laughs> the fact that he has everything and he's still depressed made him more depressed because now what do I do to get out of this? I have everything. I tried everything. Suppose you should know that material goods cannot make you happy. You have to know that. Material goods cannot make you happy and that's why after Thanksgiving all the sales the next day you go there you'll find a big crowd of people returns. They're all returning stuff. <laughs> why? Because they realize this is not going to make me happy. This is not going to make me happy. Money can't buy you love. So happiness is a spiritual feeling. That's what people don't know. It's not physical, it's spiritual. And happiness is amazing. The spiritual feeling of giving, which Jewish mothers know when your son is eating. Ah, bliss. <laughs> when my oldest son visits, my wife is a different person. <laughs> she's in Ganeden. You see her? She's, ah, my son is here. My son is, what about your husband? My son is here. <laughs> your son is more. The son, oh. So you see, it's, it's a feeling of giving. Giving is, is causes happiness, not taking. People think, taking. When I take, I take, I take, I take. It's not taking, it's giving. When you learn Torah, you get that spiritual boost. Pew, up there. You learn Torah, up there. It gives you a spiritual boost. It elevates your soul, and that gives you... When you elevate your soul, that's what gives you happiness. When a person is elevating their soul, they become happy. And so that's why a person can measure their spiritual health by how happy they are. I have a guy today. He just moved to the area. He's a big guy. I call him the Kohen Hagadol. <laughs> He's a Kohen Hagadol. Why? He's a big Kohen. He's the biggest Kohen I've seen. He's the high priest. He's a big priest. Kohen Hagadol. But he always has a smile on his face. He has such a beautiful smile. I said, listen, your smile is beautiful. He said, that's why, at least I can do a mitzvah with, with my smile. He does a mitzvah. Why? He cheers people up. Just my smile. He's got a beautiful smile. So it's uh, so easy to make other people happy just by smiling at them. And, uh, and then you get an uplift because you make people happy and then you get a big uplift. But not always. It's got to be a spiritual uplift. Okay. So, Marbe Daga, Marbe Nechazim, Marbe Daga. The person has... Rachel, can you not look in the book? Okay. Marbe Nechazim, Marbe Daga. Too many, too much merchandise, lots of worries. The more you have, the more worries you have. Listen, obviously a person's got to find a balance. You get a manager. You manage your prayers for you. Hopefully you have less worries. But person's got to do everything himself. And then you've got to worry about the manager. Is he cheating you, not cheating you? The balagan. You know, the, the old kings, they were smart. They got a right-hand man, right? He got Pharaoh. He got Yosef. Here, take my ring and you worry about it. Let me enjoy my parties and my harem and my this. You take the worries. Just be careful because I'm watching you. But you've got to still go watch him. And you have uh, Hashvirosh, he also is into parties. He gave Haman, here, you do everything. I'll, I'll be on top. I'll enjoy myself. But if you're doing everything yourself, it's hard. It's hard. So a lot of worries. A lot of worries. Anyway, so it's not always... So we're taking materialism has is a double-edged sword. person gets caught up in the materialism. His whole life becomes materialism. And then you're worried about it because this guy's got more than me. Nothing eats up a person more than seeing there's a list... Forbes comes out a list of 400 top people. 
And the guy says, how come this guy's got more than me this year? He beat me this year. I, I can't take this anymore. I want to be like this guy. I want to be like... <coughs> it's all vanity. It's all hevel havalim. In the big scheme of things, God says, worthless. All this is worthless. Because the true path to happiness is spirituality. Because happiness is in the soul, not in the body. People don't realize that happiness is not... Person, okay, you can be satisfied, but that's not happiness. Satisfaction, physical satisfaction and happiness. But it could lead to happiness. So how much do I need to eat? How much do I need to eat? How many cars do I need? I don't even drive anymore. I walk, try and walk as much as possible because driving is unhealthy. Very simple. Raises your blood pressure, raises your stress level, especially driving the uh, rush hour. Forget about it. I used to drive to Brooklyn every morning. Crazy? Uh, no. So I crazy? You get yourself ulcers just by driving on the road. <laughs> I'm not joking, I'm not joking, I'm serious. You go to the parkway early in the morning, God, parkway. Whenever they say it's an expressway, it's a lie. <laughs> I've learned. Whenever it says expressway, you want to avoid it. The Staten Line expressway. Expressway! Five miles an hour, expressway. Uh, L-I-E. Long Island expressway. It's the worst of the worst. Oh boy. Keep away from this. If you can avoid driving... Better for your blood pressure. You'll be healthier. You walk. It's healthier. Really healthier. <laughs> Plus, if you're walking to shul, you get a reward for every step. <laughs> if you're walking to a mitzvah, every step is a reward. Every step you take. You get a reward for every step. So, anyway, it's an interesting concept. Uh, okay. Okay. The more Torah you have, the more life you get. You'll find quality of life goes up. People are living. Are you really living? Or are you just going through the motions of living? A lot of people are just living, but they're living on the TV, living in the food, living. They're not really living. They don't know what life is all about. They don't taste life. Life, it just goes by. It just let life go by. Boom, 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 boom. One day pass, second day pass. They're crossing it off on the calendar. Have a calendar. Oh, one day is gone. Cross it off. Second day is gone. Cross it. No, we don't cross it off. We check it off. We used it. It says Abraham zaken Yamim. Abraham was old. He was full of days. What do you mean he was full of days? Every day he used for something good. You know, a person's got to have a checklist. Was this day productive in my life or not? Every day has to be some kind of product. What I do worthwhile today. So a person's got to feel I did something worthwhile today makes life worthwhile. That's what it means. Life should be worthwhile. If your wife is not, if your life is not, it's, like, it's a little bit of a slip. If your life is not worthwhile, make it worthwhile. How do you make it worthwhile? Find something good to do with it. Find a volunteering. You can do volunteering. You can do something for other people. Make it worthwhile. Teach other people. So help your kids. Help your grandchildren. Help this one. Help that one. And you find your, your life becomes a different value. It's a different value system. So, Marbet Torah, increase your Torah studies. It's so hard, can you imagine? Just to study and learn things by heart. You know how much pain it is to course to learn by heart? You have to repeat and repeat and repeat. And by nature, we resist learning something we already learned. person says to himself, I know it already. No, you don't know it already. Because every time you learn it, you find something new. Every time you learn Breshit, you say, new, 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 new. But Abraham Avinu, his days were complete. Why? Every day was a value. Every day he did something new, unique. He helped people. He did something. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says in Psalms, Tefillah Moshe, Limnot yamenu kenoda, teach us to count 
our days. What do you mean, teach us to count our days? Teach us to make our days count. You can count your days and you can make your days count. How do you make your days count? You can help us. This lady over here. Look at all the chairs over here. They've all been reupholstered by one woman. She came along. She does it herself. I don't know how she does it. I know it. Hashem gave her strength. I can't do it. Take out the screws, put the screws in, put the thing in. Thank you, Ida. Why? Because she saw a need. She saw all the, all the materials falling apart. So she provides the material and she does it herself. Amazing. Miracle. Thank you. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Why? Because you find something of value. That's why you do something with your time. You make the day count. You make every day count. So it's important to find some vehicle that will make you happy. How will make you happy? Because you did something important. You did something worthwhile. Do something worthwhile, you'll find it counts. It counts. You help someone. Help. It, it counts. You can change someone's life. It's so easy to change people's lives today. <laughs> Because people are in need. There's a lot of people in need. So, Marbe Torah, Marbe Chayim. We don't really see it. You increase wisdom, you increase Torah, you increase life. You know, Chayim is in the plural. You increase lives. I mean, lives. Jews, we don't, you know, you have a Chay. Chay, I don't like Chay. Why? It should be Chayim. Chay is one life. We believe in two lives. We believe every person has two lives. We only see one life. We see one dimension of the two dimensions. We only see one dimension where we believe there's another dimension after this, which is the true dimension of truth. This is the world, the rabbis say, the world of Sheker. Olam HaSheker. We're living in Olam HaSheker. Everything over here is upside down. The guys who are given honor are usually the ones who don't need it, don't deserve it. The ones who are not given honor, they're the ones who deserve it. Right? Who deserves honor in this world? Not the actors and the actresses. It's a disaster. It's a, it's a shaker. Not the baseball players and the football players and the soccer players. They don't know. Imagine. The most honor is given to these people who do nothing. What do they do for society? They entertain. Why is entertainment so valuable? What about the doctors and the nurses? And the, they go to the hospital and see the nurses saving lives. And, and society does not value these people. Not the teachers are not valued. But the actors and actresses who are useless. In my book, they're total. I, don't, I shouldn't say these things. But that's what it is. The truth. The sportsman. Who cares? Sportsman. So a 50-year-old man hit... Oh, no. 30-year-old man hits a ball. Hey, he hit a ball. Oh, Mazel Tov. Well, they're going crazy. They're going crazy for what? He hit the board. He hit the ball. Tell him to grow up already. Hit ball. You're playing ball. Old man playing a ball. And that's what society likes. You know, it's good. It's good. Why? It keeps attention away from juice. Let them all go play the soccer. Let them go watch the matches. Let them go keep us, keep us juice out of the limelight. But uh, apart from that, it's a waste for a person to spend the whole day watching these things. Such a waste of time. But they can be something productive. And you see it with kids. The kids, you take the kids out for a day. They go to Six Flags. You think they come back happy? They come back miserable. You know why? Because they had the high and now they're on a low. You give people highs. People living today from high to low, high, low, high, low. A person's got to find even keel in life. A person's got to find their life should be even keel. And not up and down, up and down like a yo-yo. Going up and down all the time. So we have to find even keel. And the Torah teaches us how to be stable in life. The, the success of life is stability. The success of life is continuity. The success of life is plugging away. You know what I mean? It's just keep on going, plugging away, doing the same thing. If you're doing the right thing, just plug away every day at the same thing every day. Kavata etim Torah, Fixed times. Uh, we find the secret of, of uh, success is the, the Korban Tamid. 
It's called Korban Tamid. It's called the daily offering. Every day in the temple they had two offerings. Shacharit Mincha, Shacharit Mincha, Shacharit Mincha. And Torah says, Korban Tamid. It's a, it's a daily offering. Just by doing things in a fixed routine, you'll get there in the end. If you fix your routine, you study a Mishnah a day. How long does it take? Three and a half years to finish the Mishnah. You study a Talmud a day, seven years you finish the whole Talmud. It's massive Talmud. One, one page a day. So if you fix a routine, that's the secret of success. Fix a routine. Do something good, fix a routine for something good. You give stuck a dollar a day, after a year it's $365. It's amazing. It adds up. Everything adds up. So by increasing Torah study, you increase lives. You increase your life in this world. Look at these great rabbis. I'm amazed. Look how long they lasted. Rabbi Yashi was 104. Rav Kaduri was 100. We lost him. We don't even know how old he was. He's well over 100. Uh, Rav Steinman, he was over 100. Uh, Rav Shach, how did they live so long? They didn't do any exercise. They barely ate. Maybe that's why. They barely ate. They lived very, very simply. It was the Torah that kept them alive. Marbet Torah, Marbet Chayim. Why? Because they're, they're, in, they're living in a, in a different dimension. That's my, that was my Monday night class. How can you live in this world, really, but you're in the next world? Because you're living in a higher state of living. So a person's not even thinking about this world. He's living, thinking about his story. He's thinking about God. He's thinking about this. He's living in a higher state of living. The body uses less energy. So, so learning Torah and, and increasing Torah study can increase life. What we're doing now, we're sitting down and we're learning. The more you sit down, the more you study. That's why it's called the yeshiva from this Mishnah. Why? The more sitting down, the more stability and more concentration, more focus, you increase wisdom. Okay, now we come to, it's interesting because there's a Mishnah, we're going to see different ages for different things. When a person gets to the age of 40, they can start advising people. A person gets to the age of 40, it's an age of bina. It's an age of understanding. So understanding is very critical. But before you get to the age of understanding, you have to ask advice from others who have gone through it. You know, we know the very important mitzvah is the mitzvah of giving honor to elderly people. You have to stand up. Imagine, how many people do this? Stand up. When you see an elderly person approaching you within six feet, you have to stand up. It's very hard to do. It's very hard to do it. What is an elderly person? Shukhan says 70 years old. When you see it, it's, it's hard to know who's 70 years old. Everyone looks so young. Yeah. It's hard to know. We have a guy here, he's 86, and he looks like a 60-year-old. But when you see an, an elderly person approaching, you have to stand up. Why? Because they have life experiences. You don't have the life experience that an elderly person has. Number one. Number two, they know how to struggle through life. Because life is a struggle sometimes. They know how to struggle through life and they persevered. They didn't give up. They persevered. That you have to respect, the perseverance. So there's different things we have to respect. You have to honor the idea that this person reached an age and they have this, the street smarts. They have the uh, knowledge of the world around just to survive that long. So now they can give advice. You go to them for advice. And when you get advice, you get smart as well. You get understanding as well. So marbe etza, when you go and get advice, marbe you get understanding as well. And then you can be, you can also give advice after that. Marbet shalom. The more tzedakah, the more charity, the more peace. Why? Because what causes wars? Inequality in society. Inequality in society, which means the haves and the have-nots. The have-nots get upset. This guy has millions and we have nothing. So it leads to wars. It leads to, you know, revolutions. 
So the more tzedakah they give, the more peace there's going to be in the world. People are not jealous. He has, but he's helping people. Look, he's helping people. So then people are happy. It makes peace in the world. So the more tzedakah a person gives, and they're known to be wealthy, the more peace there is in the world. People don't hate the person. People don't be jealous. They're not jealous of the person because he's helping society. Kana Shemtov. Now, now we come to a very important point. What is the most important thing you have? So you ask someone, what is the most important thing I have? My okay, children. My children. What else? My husband. My husband. What else? That's nice. I like that one. <laughs> you got to advertise that. <laughs> uh, what else? Friends. Friends. Health. Health. Happiness. Happiness. So Shlomo Menach says, Tov Shem Meshem Tov. The most important thing you have is a good reputation. A good reputation. That is the most important thing you have. The most important thing you have is a good reputation. Because your good reputation is better than perfume. It's better than shemen tov. Tov shemen, shemen tov. Shemen tov in those days was perfume. They would flavor the, the, the oil with, with perfumes. So I can, send, I can smell the scent three feet away, five feet away, six feet away. It's a good perfume. But a good reputation I can hear across the world. So the best thing you have is your good reputation. And when a person passes away, their reputation goes in front of them. They're preparing a reception in the world to come based on the person's reputation in this world. Oh, this person is a good reputation. Open the doors wide. So, Kana Shem Tov, the only thing you can take with you is your good name. What does that mean? You're living in a spiritual world. All your good deeds are transferred into a good reputation. Whatever you've done in this world is all in your reputation. Reputation in front of man and reputation in front of God. That's the only thing you can acquire for yourself. The only thing you can take with you and you can actually take, transfer it, is a good reputation. And Kanalo Divrei Torah, if you acquire Divrei Torah, Kanalo Hayeh you acquire a portion in the world to come. So Divrei Torah and a good name. Two things we can take with us is spiritual knowledge and a spiritual sense of what we're worth. That goes in front of us. Okay, we're going to stop here. I'll continue next week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.